0: Good morning, Firestones Church. I'm Pastor Rich, and I'm so excited that you can join us for this uh, Mother's Day service. The title of my message this morning is, is Giving Birth to God's Purposes. And on this Mother Day, Mother's Day, I want to honor moms, of course, for their incredible love, dedication, and sacrifice to their children and families. If we don't have moms with their hot cookies that they bake, the bandages they put on our owies, the hugs that they give when we are hurt, the incessant nagging of cleaning up our rooms and the reminder to say please and thank you, where would we be as individuals? And where would we be as families? Or where would societies be if we didn't have children shaped by loving mothers? I also want to say, too, that we want to honor those that want to be moms but can't. It's one of the biggest heartaches that a woman can experience. And being able to have children cannot be taken for granted. So we stand with you today in the comfort of God and trusting that he will shine either through healing or by other ways that will be unmanageable and will inspire others as he writes his story through your life. As I get into the message here, I'd like to just open with a word of prayer. So, Father, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your presence. And would you now just fill every bedroom, every living room, every sitting space, God, in which we are listening to this service. May your Holy Spirit be seated right next to us. And may your presence touch us, God, as the word goes forth. We give you honor and praise in Jesus' name. Amen. So we live in a a grown-up world, but everyone starts out as a kid. And there are a few things in life that bring more delight to God than children. Children are God's purposes. And it says in Psalm 127.3, Children are a heritage from the Lord, offspring a reward from Him. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are children born in one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver Is full of them. God's delight for children is so unbounded that He told Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 1 be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Like fill it up with kids. As many as you can have, I'll take. I put no limits on the size of families you want to have, whether it's three or five or ten or fifteen kids. Now, that may sound insane according to our worldly concepts of what the ideal family size should be, but not to God. When I pastored in Minneapolis, one of our sister churches had a family with 18 kids. And their family was so large, they had to have two houses. They were across the street from one another in order to house the entire family. They loved the Lord, and they stocked the high school wrestling team. In fact, many of them were champion wrestlers. So God's idea of family size is the sky is the limit, as in according to your faith, let it be. I encourage all parents to think in kingdom terms and have as many kids as your joy can handle. And I know this is maybe a little countercultural because we go into our calculations, we go into our financial thinking of how we can do this and do that and can we afford it, but God did not give us those kinds of guidelines. He gave us faith and he gave us joy. Large, healthy Christian families. This is part of how God extends his kingdom in the earth. Now we know in Exodus that Pharaoh was greatly threatened when the Israelites multiplied. They took God's commandment in Genesis 1 to heart and they multiplied and filled the earth. But because they outnumbered the Egyptians, Pharaoh was very threatened. Pharaoh did not want to lose his majority status. So Pharaoh afflicted the Israelites with taskmasters and made them slaves to control their population. But the Bible says, inexplicably, that they multiplied all the more. What Pharaoh should have done was to encourage his own people to have more children rather than suppress the Israelites. He would have done well to ignite a baby race. You know, most of civilization has not had tools for contraception except for abstinence. And God didn't say, oh my goodness, how deprived you are not to have the tools of modern society to stop pregnancies. No, it's the opposite. You lose something when you are not enriched by children. Children are part of God's purposes in the earth. As a papa, God has no greater joy than having lots of kids. What fun is heaven if there's just a few sprinkling of people? God wants a rocking family reunion with everyone there. Thus, moms play a gigantic role in God's plan. They help to populate heaven. But as we all know, and it's why we celebrate moms on Mother's Day, giving birth and raising kids is no easy task. There's a lot of tears. There's moments of madness. There's never been a mom that didn't think at one point, why, oh, why did I ever become a mom? This is why the Bible says that women are saved through childbearing. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15, it says that women will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness with proprietary. This is not referring to being saved in the salvation sense. It's referring to being saved in the sanctification sense. Men learn to love by laying their lives down for their wives, as Paul taught in Ephesians 5. And women learn to love by laying their lives down for their children. Motherhood is costly, but in the end, it's worth it. In fact, there's nothing like it. Mimi and I have four kids, and they're the greatest treasures of our lives. Nothing even comes close. Having kids thus represents one of God's highest purposes. Never let anyone shame you moms if your aspiration is to raise a great family. Never let anyone frown upon you or scorn you if you ever choose to give up a career to raise your family. I'm not saying it's wrong for women to have careers. I'm just saying it's equally as good if women choose to raise a family. Never let culture or the world make you think that you're less. Hold your chin up high. Be proud. All the mom power to you. You're doing some of God's highest will by raising kids to be godly and healthy and fun and productive. So we see how giving birth to God's purposes works in the natural. How then does this work out spiritually? That is, how do we spiritually give birth to God's purposes as followers of Jesus? The answer can be summarized in one word, abide in him. When God told Adam and Eve in Genesis 1 to be fruitful and multiply, Jesus restated this commandment in John 15. and the scripture there reads, Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot be bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. There's that important phrase, be fruitful and multiply. You abide in him, you're going to bear and multiply much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Abiding is the key to fruitfulness in Jesus in the original Greek, that word means the idea of remaining, to dwell, to tarry, to endure, to continue. And it's a word that's chock full of meaning and implications for the Christian life. One of my favorite definitions of abide comes from Eugene Peterson, who was a pastor. He was a Regent College professor here in Vancouver and author of the famous Message Bible Translation. You might have one of those translations that have been blessed by it. Well, the title of his first book, of the 28 books that he wrote, was called A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. When I first saw this title, I was stunned by its clarity. In fact, I told my son, Matt, immediately, this title is so good. I'm not sure he was as enraptured as I was at that moment, but I'm still taken by this title because of how it perfectly summarizes discipleship and the concept of abiding. In fact, this first book was so formative to Peterson's writing career that he said, it characterized everything that I've written since, including his translation of all the Psalms and the New Testament and eventually the whole Bible, which became the message. So this definition had a lot of staying power for Peterson. And this morning, I too want to expound on it as I speak on three biblical concepts, as I speak to three biblical ideas in the statement that makes this phrase so potent and deadly. So the first idea I want to touch on is this idea of long obedience versus short. And let me focus on the word long. We live in an instant world that prizes speed. The faster, the better. We're constantly in a race to deliver results quicker and quicker. We used to have dial-up modems. There's some of you that don't even know what dial modems are, but we now have fiber optic cables. Our smartphones were launched incredibly just 15 years ago with 1G service, and now we're up to 5G. We have just-in-time inventory management, We have overnight delivery. We now even have same-day delivery, compliments of drones coming to a neighborhood near you. These kind of instant gratifications can be thrilling to the customer and profitable for business, but it's not how God works and it's not how the kingdom works. We must be careful to not let culture dictate what we think God's methods are Or unconsciously project onto him how we think he should do things. God is not growing weeds. He is growing oak trees. We cannot become mature overnight. It requires sustained effort, not fits and starts or short bouts of obedience. Crops do not come up after one or two rain showers. They must be watered regularly over an entire season. If you exit too early from your relationship with Jesus and don't understand God's long approach, you will never experience a harvest in your life. James 5, 7 says that the fields require the early and the late rains. There are a lot of Christians that have experienced the early rains. They get excited. They're walking with God. Jesus is so good. But soon, they don't have the patience to receive the latter rains. And James says very clearly that for the field to bring forth its fruit, you need the early and the latter rain. You have to have a vision for the long game. Discipleship in an instant society is a test to us because of how we are conditioned. Go on Google. You do all your research. You don't have to go to the library anymore. You have a question, just punch it into your smartphone. Bam, bam, bam. We get things so quickly. And so we have expectations in one direction when God has set up a different system. So we have to adjust. We have to recalibrate. We have to understand that the kingdom is entirely a different beast. John 15 is asking us, are you in this for the long haul or are you a short-termer? Only if you give yourself to sustained commitment will you bring glory to God. God is not serving Kool-Aid. He's serving wine that's properly aged. My second point about abiding refers to obedience. This past Friday, two days ago, we celebrated an early mother's dinner, and Mimi, my wife, prepared an awesome lobster, macaroni, and cheese dish. Now, you might say, how could you have let her cook the meal because moms are not supposed to be cooking on mom's day. But Mimi's big heart wanted to cook a nice meal for the entire family. And when she told us it was lobster, we had no objections. We didn't stop her. So she literally went out and bought a fresh lobster to make this meal. Now, it was the first time she had prepared it, and to us, as we tasted it and ate it, we thought it was perfect. In fact, I had so much of it, I had food coma for about two hours. I literally had to lie down on the carpet after the meal to let my body catch up. And in the process, fell asleep for one hour. That's how potent and delicious the meal was. But I thought, you know, that there was nothing to be improved on. And yet later that night, Mimi was critiquing her own meal. And she said this, I wish I would have followed the recipe to the end. I didn't know why they asked for the breadcrumbs to be roasted. But then when it was all done, I realized it would have made the top layer more crunchy. She was saying to this to me as, as we were having pillow talk, and I literally jumped out of bed and I said, I have to change my whole point in the sermon because this is so powerful. This phrase, I wish I would have followed the recipe to the end. What a perfect illustration of human nature and how we approach Christianity. If we don't understand what God is saying, we won't do it. We seek for understanding first and then obedience second. But God's paradigm is completely opposite. It's obedience first and understanding second. The scripture prioritizes obedience as the way to understanding. Obedience precedes revelation. And this is why Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. That sequence is not just a bunch of just same-like thoughts thrown together. That sequence is a divine sequence. We have to experience God as the way first, and then the truth comes, and then the life follows. This is what I preached on several sermons back, Na'asa Vanishma. Now, for those that are hearing this Hebrew phrase for the first time, please go back to our online sermon library and listen to my message from the Gospel of Matthew This is one of the most powerful Old Testament concepts. It's where the people of God were receiving the Ten Commandments from Moses at Mount Sinai. There's this incredible, majestic just moment in history for the Jewish people. And the Jewish commentators said that the way they received the covenant was, we will do it before they even understand the terms of the covenant. And so God put in priority obedience first which is captured in this Hebrew phrase, na'asa venishma. But our fallen nature says we will only obey what we understand. Hence, I'm not going to roast the breadcrumbs because I don't know how it fits into the recipe. Yet, had I roasted the breadcrumbs, even though I didn't understand why at the time, I would have later understood why the recipe called for it. Friends, this is the way of radical discipleship. This is a way of unimaginable fruitfulness. Following the recipe to the end. Not trying to figure out how all the ingredients will fit together, but trusting when God says do this or do that, the ingredients come together. At the end we go, this is amazing. Because God is all-knowing. He's all-sovereign. He sees the beginning of our days from front to back. So He is Literally navigating us according to this perfect plan. But we're like ants on the ground. We can't see the big picture. And so God speaks to us and we go, well, why would I do that? Or why should I do this? Or why can't I do that? But it takes trust and it takes faith. And that's what our sinful nature resists. But when we follow the recipe to the end, this is how we give expression to God's purpose we must obey fully, not partially, not 25% or 50%, but 100%. Think about Abraham and his call to leave his homeland and to go to this place he did not know. If Abraham had obeyed his call as a function of his understanding, we would not be here today as a Christian nation. His obedience to God was not predicated on understanding. It was founded on trust. When Adam and Eve fell in the garden, they ate the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. What happened is they shifted from the kingdom of light to the kingdom of darkness. And what was that shift? That was a shift from the kingdom of trust to a kingdom of suspicion. Now everything is you're a little bit suspicious and you're always evaluating. You're always judging. Is this good? Is this bad? And so then you become the center of the decision-making process and not God. This is why we emphasize over and over again, no matter how difficult a thing we go through, God is good. He cannot change. He is light. And if you know the physical characteristics of light, it doesn't vary. It's one straight line. And God's goodness is like light. We may not understand the large purposes, but we hold on to that. That's our home base. That's how we live and move and have our being as Christians. And so Abraham was eating from the tree Of life. God, you're telling me to go to Canaan? I have no idea where it is. There's no GPS. There's no Google Maps. How do I get there? No, you just follow me. He was eating from that tree of life and not from the tree of knowledge and good of evil, which would have said to him, I'm not doing that. Why would I sell all my goods to go there? That's Abraham's sermon to us. Abraham was walking in John 14, 6 before he was even written. He modeled radical biblical Obedience. Through obedience, he abided in God. And as a result, brought forth God's purposes, the nation of Israel. The Jewish people are on earth today because of one man's obedience. That's Abraham. And this is emphasized by John 15, 7 and 8. Again, if you abide in me, and my what? Word abides in you. My word. Then you will bear much fruit and prove to be my disciples. We're a function of what's inside of us. You've heard the saying, you are what you eat. And so what you're consuming becomes part of your personality, becomes part of your feelings, becomes part of your thinking process. So that's why God says renew your mind because you need to replace what's on the inside of you. You cannot be obedient to me if you don't know my will, if you don't know my mind, if you don't know my heart. So be renewed in your mind. Let the word abide in you. And as you obey that word, you are going to experience an incredible harvest. This is why abiding is such a big word. It exhorts us to obey God's truth to the end so we can taste how great the lobster macaroni and cheese is. Don't obey God partially. Obey him fully. If you obey God partially, and I cannot tell you how many people have done this, If you obey God partially, oh, I tried the Bible, oh, I tried God, oh, I tried the church, you will conclude wrongly that the recipe doesn't work, when in fact it was user error. John Calvin, the great, if not the greatest, Reformed theologian, said true knowledge of God is born out of obedience. Now, we're talking about one of the giant intellects in Christian heritage and he could have easily inverted that statement and said, you know what, devotion, love comes out of study. But That's not what he said. He said, true knowledge of God is born out of obedience. Those are the words of a true disciple. The third idea of abiding is given in these words, same direction. This speaks of our need to be faithful. I just spoke of Abraham and his contribution to the whole picture of biblical obedience. And now we get to talk about Isaac, Abraham's son. Of the three patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Isaac was the most boring one. He seemingly didn't do anything spectacular. He didn't commit any great sins, didn't make any great comebacks, didn't have a wildly colorful life like Jacob, that had to flee his murderous brother and ended up becoming a millionaire. No, Isaac got married, inherited his dad's wealth, had twins, and the biggest drama in his life is that he had some property rights issues regarding wells that he had. Otherwise, his life was pretty normal. Or was it? In fact, Isaac was mighty in his own way. Like his dad, he understood how to abide. He understood that bringing forth God's will meant a long obedience in the same direction. Isaac was faithful to the covenant that God gave his father Abraham. He didn't waver. He didn't veer to the left or didn't veer to the right. He stewarded his inheritance. He worshiped God and stayed on that same blessed path his whole life. And as a result, God used him to bring forth the Jewish nation That was promised to his dad. Faithfulness was Isaac's contribution. This is one of the greatest gifts that we can bring to God. Staying true to him and his word our entire life, our whole life. And being confident that our same direction is right on the money. In our culture, we overestimate gifting and we underestimate faithfulness. Matthew chapter 25, Jesus tells us that at the end of the age, there's going to be a time of accounting. Where he's going to account for our talents. And he gives us this parable about people that have five talents and two talents and one talents. And I'm not going to take time to go into it, except to say at the end of the story, when Jesus calls these people forward, he said to the five-talent person, well done, good and faithful servant, not well-done, good, and gifted servant. And he said the same thing to the five-talent person as the two-talent person. They got the exact same reward, the exact same commendation, and the exact same love from God. Not because, oh my goodness, you're the Michael Jordan of the kingdom and can you ever slam dunk? Can you ever preach? Can you ever plant churches? Can you ever disciple people? No. Same love, same reward to the five-talent and the two-talent person. And this shows us that God places a premium on faithfulness over giftedness. So what did God give Isaac? He gave him a promise handed down to him from his dad. It was simple, a simple promise, but it was profound. Isaac, take this promise and keep going in the same direction. It wasn't flashy, it wasn't sexy, but it was powerful. And God chooses powerful over sexiness or flash any day of the week, and you should too. In fact, faithfulness is a critical flashpoint in these last days. Luke 18, verse eight says, will God find faith or faithfulness on the earth before he returns? One of the ways that we know Jesus is coming back soon we see people falling away left and right like flies. We are edging up to a spirit of apostasy. The Bible prophesied this to us. Jesus told us in Matthew 24, 10, that prior to the coming, many will fall away. We have Christian authors, we have Christian worship leaders, we have Christian pastors that have literally gone a wall. They've jumped over the wall of the kingdom, and now they're out there in Babylon and celebrated. In Babylon, is that what we're after? Popularity? Is that what we're after? The kudos and the compliments of men? There's something so seductive and powerful about the world. It's trying to lure us out there. But the spirit of grace is drawing us into abiding, one long obedience in the same direction. Now, this is part of the training that God is giving to us with COVID 19 learning to abide, be close. Be intimate with God. Hear his voice a little bit better. We've been shut in for a purpose. To prepare us for something that's coming around the corner. God is putting some things in my spirit that I'm so excited about. Once this whole COVID thing begins to lift. I'm praying through it. I'm talking to me. I'm talking to the elders. Talking to the pastors about what's coming around the corner. God has a different horizon for us to minister in once this is all done. So we're shut in for a purpose, and it's to build spiritual muscles and disciplines that will stay with us after we come out of COVID. Don't just have the mindset, I just can't wait for it to get over so we can go back to normal. Even the secular press, even the commentators and the wise ones out there saying, we are not going back to the old ways. We are not going back to that normal. So prepare your hearts and mind for a new normal. So the Holy Spirit is calling us to an enduring commitment and love for God until he calls you and me home. And that's a key thought, staying true until our last breath. Like Billy Graham, like Mother Teresa, like your godly grandmother, your favorite missionary, your spiritual mentor, or like the community that's around you. This is how they, and this is how we bear fruit, flourish And bring glory to God with our lives. Despite everything in the world trying to get us to go in the opposite direction. Are you ready to say yes to Jesus afresh? To affirm your obedience in him. A long obedience in the same direction. If so, you're going to be greatly used by God. You are going to be greatly used by the Lord. Now, as I close in prayer, I want to add a a little ministry component to our services. I'm going to call Kelly to come on up to minister on the piano. I was on a Zoom conference call with Canadian leaders in the Alpha program, and Nicky Gumbel was the featured speaker, and he was Zooming in from England. It was just an awesome time to listen to the founder of the alpha program and how they're dealing with covid and, and how they're handling the logistics of it all but one of the things that so touched me in that zoom call with nicky is he talked about in their church services how they end and invite the holy spirit to come and it's captured by this little phrase come holy spirit and he said that you know this is the part of the service that everyone loves the most no matter what great sermon i preach no matter how great the worship is It's that moment where the Holy Spirit comes. And it's so simple. God asks us to open our hearts like little children. And as he was speaking, I just was quickened in my spirit. This is something that we need to do and implement because it will bring such life to us as a congregation. And so I'm going to have just Kelly play a little bit of background music. And I want us to just wait on the Lord for a little bit here. If you would just... Close your eyes and even open up your arms and hands as a physical gesture of, I'm open to you, God. We pray right now, come Holy Spirit. Whatever need you have, whatever God has been speaking to you through this sermon, don't be thinking about your coffee, don't be thinking about lunch. Just take a moment and quiet your heart say, God, thank you for speaking to me today. Some of you have been adjusted by the Holy Spirit this morning. Some of you have been reminded of some things that you need to put back into place. Some things that have fallen off your bookshelf and you need to put it back on the shelf and say, this is what I'm committed to. Some of you had a hard time even listening to the message because you're dealing with things and your heart is far away. God wants to come to you right now and comfort you. He's the shepherd of your soul. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you're sitting right beside us. We thank you that you want to allow us to hear your voice with greater and greater clarity. And this morning, you might have been listening to the message, maybe for the first time or just by action and turned online to our service and you feel a pull from God to become a Christian I invite you right now to give your life to Jesus Christ to make him Lord and Savior and simply say Jesus come in and take control some of you are weary and you need a refreshing Holy Spirit would you just come and bring that refreshing right now There's some of you that are going to receive a physical touch, a physical healing. You have a certain ache or pain in your body, and it's going to be dialed down by the presence of the Holy Spirit. It's not going to ache as bad, and it's not going to be as painful. Come, Holy Spirit. We give you thanks this morning. We want to abide in you, we want to be kingdom people. We want your kingdom come want to be instruments of your purpose with our lives as we abide in you. Thank you, Holy Spirit. I want to read this verse to you from number six, the great benediction that the Lord told Moses to speak over the people. The Lord bless you and keep you. Lord, make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. I'm sorry, but I'm going to interrupt this reading for a second. We're going to be stunned in the coming days by the mercy and the love of God. He is going to make his favor shine upon us. and We're going to experience in a way that we've never experienced before. Whole cities are going to come under the presence and the faith. The Lord bless you and keep you and make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift his countenance on you and give you peace. We thank you, God, that you are the God of peace. You're the God of all comfort. You're the spirit of grace, God, that causes us to abide in you with great joy and with great endurance. Now raise up a church to be that glorious bride. We bless you and thank you. Thank you for joining us. We are glad that you could be with us. We'll see you next Sunday. Blessings.